This is Pixel Splitters, your absolute favorite conversation movie news podcast with your hosts, Josh. Made by anyone else. That's like the best movie they've ever made. And Willis. I tried everything I could to get this one off my list. Join us each week as we break down the latest movie news, TV news, and general industry news and debate about what it all really means. It is time for another Megapixels episode, dear listener. It has been a minute since we've done one of these. I think our last one was our top five most anticipated of the year, which was, of course, in January. We are now almost in May, so it's been a minute. It's true. Um, But we're back to do another top five list for you all. This week, uh, what we are doing is we're going to give you our top five most influential filmmakers to our lives specifically, which is a little open-ended, but that's kind of the way we wanted it to be. We didn't want it to be too specific, which yeah, also we're masochists makes it... and we wanted to make it as vague as possible. So every possible yes. filmmaker fit in the category. Exactly. Uh, which didn't really make it easier for us. It still was kind of like a pain, but this yeah, will be bit. fun either way. Um, and we'll go into the rules and some of the like the um, specifics after I run through what is coming out this week because we do have a couple things coming to theaters and streaming. Uh, for theaters, we have Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, hitting theaters on April 28th. We have Big George Foreman, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight world or heavyweight champion of the world coming on April 28th. I get what they're doing with this title, but it is yeah. way too long. Like, I understand that's the point, but like, come on, yeah. man. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, we also have Sisu coming on April 28th as well, and somewhere mm-hmm. in Queens 28th as well. Uh, for streaming, we have a bunch of shows. And even today, as I was updating the document, I'm like, oh, they're adding shows. So here we go. Yes. Uh, <laughs> starting off, we have Matilda, The World at Our Feet coming to Disney Plus on April 26th. This is kind of a follow-up to our conversation last week about how a yep. lot of these things are just being remade. Well, we um, did that is Matilda, right? Like the Roald Dahl book? I believe so, yeah. Slash movie from our childhoods. Exactly. Which we also just got a uh, musical adaptation movie version of. Yes, which is like, okay, that's really, I guess, yeah. ripe for, yeah. for that type of stuff. Uh, we have Saint X hitting Hulu on April 26th. We have Love and Death hitting HBO Max, or which soon to be called just Max, on April 27th. We have Firefly Lane coming back for part two on Netflix on the 27th. We have Sweet Tooth coming to Netflix on the 27th. The After Party coming for another season on the 27th on Apple TV+. And then, holy crap, Citadel is here, everybody. It's here. Let's go uh, coming to Prime on the 28th. That that really came fast, and there's been really no marketing for that, yeah, which is kind of strange. Right? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm. this is the first actual time I'm like, it's coming into my worldview again. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I haven't heard anything from it. Nothing. Not one thing about it. Um, no trailers except for the one we talked about, but that is yeah. coming. Uh, we also have Frog and Toad, which I just love Frog and Toad, so I'm confused as to what's going on here, but... Coming to Apple TV Plus on April 28th. Um, and then we have the a Fatal Attraction. Based on the book series? I believe so, yeah. No, no kidding. I didn't Love even know that was yeah. happening. <laughs> I didn't know. I did not know either. But let's just say anything that you've heard of will likely be remade it's or true. rebooted in the next couple years. Um, speaking of which, Fatal Attractions is a TV show coming to Paramount yes. Plus on the 30th. So, Which is being heavily uh, advertised. It is. Um, 
which is very, very strange. And then for movies, the only one that I could really find was A Tourist's Guide to Love, which I do not know anything about, but it is coming to Netflix on April 27th. And uh, yeah, that's what's coming this week for content. And without further ado, let's jump into this Megapixels episode. Here we go. So like I said at the top, another top five list that we're giving to you all, and we are going to lay out our top five most influential film- filmmakers to us personally. This is purposefully vague so that we could kind of yes. <laughs> kind of run amok here. Uh, but this could mean anything from influencing the way that you watch movies, the way that you make movies, the way that you see the world, the way that you interact with actors or characters or it like kind yep. of anything that you can think of. Um, which is great. This was a kind of a this was a fun prompt. Um, we are going to be doing top five plus one as a runner up because of course yes. we can't ever do just top five. <laughs> we have yeah. no self control. Um, and we will be doing it in snake fashion. So Five. Indeed. Do we four. want to do the runner-ups first, and then yes, then we'll snake. Yeah. So I guess five will be in the place of our number six, not necessarily the number six, but and we'll we'll just one back and forth on those, and then we'll go into the top five. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be that one, then five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. So those are the only real uh, uh, rules, I guess you could call them. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I will qualify. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine for the most part, our directors. Yep. Um, I mean, as much as like, you know, everyone does all kinds of stuff when you get on this level. Um, yeah, but yeah, mine for the most part have, have landed as, uh, directors. Yes. Same, same. Um, cause I guess yeah, uh, filmmaker could mean a lot of different things, Yeah, um, but I have to write them out in numerical order because I have a list here of my six yep and then a bunch of numbers in different orders <laughs> and i keep forgetting that's there so yes i i will say dear listener this was like tough for a number of different reasons um and different reasons for both of us but this should be fun this should be a really fun episode yeah. um the just the definition of influenced is it's broad boggling yeah yeah, yeah it can mean anything it really can mean anything um, and this does not even mean that these are our top five favorite filmmakers. It could mean that needs to be very clear that I do not qualify these as my no. top five filmmakers. Yes. <laughs> at yes. <all>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess the only thing left to do here is to pick an order as to who goes first. And like always, we're flipping something that is not a coin, but is a but random is object on my desk. <laughs> yes. Happens uh, to be flat and has two different sides. Yes. So I have an SD card here. We're going to flip. I also have like a battery if we want to. I already flipped an SD card. Should we flip a battery? Uh, sure. No, I'm getting too complicated. Oh, okay. I was going to say that could okay. be a little bit destructive. If, yeah. um. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Uh, got a 64 gig SD card here. Mm-hmm. Label or uh, connections. Okay. You call, call, you call it? what okay. you want. I'll yeah, call it in, in the, the air. air. Ready? Right. Yep. One, two, three, flip. Label. Label it is. So do I go so first or you do go, I choose? Well, you, you get to choose. You can go first or second. Okay. And Football like rules. always, I still have no idea who goes first to have the last the last one. So um, I'm just going to go first, I guess. All right. So this is number six technically, although it's our runner up. So it's yeah. it can go in any order. This is. I want to keep saying first. runner up because I don't want mine to be like, I don't want six attached to mine. Okay. <laughs> 
So runner-up. My runner-up is a... I would just say an overall filmmaker in the most general sense. Uh, he is a Japanese director uh, who specializes in animation, uh, is the co-founder of one of the most influential and, I guess, prolific, I would say. Yeah, uh, this word. man's name is Hayao Miyazaki, and I have not spoken a lot about him on this podcast, and that's kind of one of the reasons I want to bring this up right now, because I think you have recommended... I think he recommended My Neighbor Totoro at one point mm -hmm. or that you had watched it. Obviously yeah. a legendary film. And this guy is someone that I was introduced to right around when I started to understand like what movies were. So like when I was a little bit younger, because right around that time, Ponyo and Kiki's Delivery mm -hmm. Service were really popular. Kiki's Delivery Service is a little bit older, but it was something that my parents kind of like wove into the Pixar and dreamworks mm. like battle that was going on there ah, and so i had him. yeah my neighbor totoro and and films like that at like just on vhs which was really really cool and when i say that i did not like his movies at first because <laughs> i was going up against toy story and the incredibles and yeah. shrek and all these movies that were just colorful and frenetic and really really obviously american and like had all of the same ideals that i did at that point in time and not for nothing i'm sure all of your friends were talking about as well exactly nobody yeah. uh, no one was going like oh you see naushika it's like no that's not <laughs> they didn't know what that was uh but it can't be overstated how much uh his filmmaking has kind of turned me around as to what you should be doing with animation yeah because his films, while they're made for, for children, I guess, they treat children like adults. Like there are yeah. elements and thematic elements and storytelling that doesn't treat kids like they're babies and they treat them like they understand what's going on because kids really do understand more than you give them credit for. And this movie, it or this movie, these films take their time to yeah. kind of let you sit with the themes and the elements and you know they show scary stuff there's talk about mm -hmm. death there's talk about war and famine and environmentalism and all of these things that are really really powerful in in everything and um you know it's not just his work ethic and his artistry that has influenced me because if you go and i've talked about this before go look at his storyboarding because that's how he writes. He doesn't screenwrite. He like storyboards and and draws stories out, and that's how he like crafts yeah. his films. It's unbelievable. Um, and again, I can't. His impact will be forever like imprinted on me because I've I view all animated films through the lens of like, well, what if this was Miyazaki film? Like, what? Yeah. How would this have been different if he mm -hmm. had done this? And would it have been better? And would the storytelling have worked? And you know. He's an amazing artist, an amazing filmmaker, and I just think that I just had to I had to shout out hey, Hayao Miyazaki here. Absolutely, uh, a favorite of both of ours for sure. It's so true he's my on my list six. as well. Um, I will well not on my list on my long list. I was gonna say really um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh man, that's gonna that's gonna be a reoccurring thing. Is I feel like all of ours are yeah <laughs> gonna be on both of our long lists. Um, Definitely, but yeah, I will say like I feel the same kind of way. Um, yeah. I will also add it's nice coming up with stuff like that in that it exposes you to like other cultures as well. Yes. Um, because Miyazaki's films are very 
not set in the United States. <laughs> Extremely not. <laughs> and you um, see that in the pacing and you see that in the color work and everything. It's just, yeah. it's different. But for some reason it has like been able to penetrate the, like the American studio system yeah. and be like Miyazaki. People know Miyazaki. Like, you know, my neighbor Totoro, like everybody yeah. does. I feel like, you know? Yeah. Um, so my number six, Hayao Miyazaki. Um, and what is your number six, Willis? All right. So my runner up. Oh, runner I, up. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm going to put like 45 qualifiers on the front of this. Oh God. I, um, put this person so low because their impact is so incredibly overwhelming mm. that it's hard to specifically point at anything and say, this was what was influential to me or this was what is influential. It's just a like in general powerhouse yes, across the board. And my runner up is Steven Spielberg. Yes, of course. I was really reticent to put him on my list at all because a lot of Steven Spielberg movies I have really big issues with. I of mean, of course, <laughs> like I am to this day terrified of E.T. Jurassic Park, when I first saw it, scared the shit out of me. Yes. So I'm like coming up, like discovering and like building my uh, taste in movies and whatnot. Like Spielberg was not a strong candidate, mm -hmm. at least in the ones that immediately popped in my head because they're like, you know, trauma movies. Of course. Um, <laughs> but like then I started thinking about it and I started thinking of Minority Report and uh, Indiana Jones and... Um, Catch Jaws. Me If You Can and Saving Private Ryan and Jaws and like all these different ones that I'm like, uh, like, of course, this is influenced on me. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, there's never been a war movie like Saving Private Ryan. Like, Catch Me If You Can, the complexities and storytelling in that are incredible. Like, yeah. you can't really get around it. So it's one of those I'm like, yes, like Steven Spielberg is incredibly influential to me. Um, but like, I feel like. All of his work is influential to anyone who's seen it. <laughs> For all of cinema history, like he's influential. Like, yeah, it's Steven Spielberg. I mean, even the most like layman who doesn't, you know, only watches Marvel movies. Yeah. Can understand the appreciation of Steven Spielberg. Absolutely. Because he invented the blockbuster, like, you know. So <laughs> I feel weird about having one of the greatest filmmakers like ever as like the bottom of my list. Um Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's Steven Spielberg. Like I, what can I possibly talk about it? Yeah. Like undeniable. The guy is yeah. literally one of the most legendary filmmakers of all time. And it's just, he's someone who is definitely on my long list. I, I wasn't sure there are so many really amazing filmmakers that I just didn't include. Cause I'm like, I, this can't be the, the, you know, the BFI's yeah. top five filmmaker list. <laughs> yeah. I can't do that. Um, but he's, it's undeniable. Spielberg was the first person who made me both scared and emotional. Like I can't, I can remember yeah. seeing Jaws and Jurassic Park and being like, this is, how do you, this is different. Like, yeah. how do you do that? Um, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. And I will put in the same vein, like the scene between, uh, Leo and Christopher Walken, um, in the restaurant in catch me if you can, when they're yeah. like, talking about meeting his mom, like is, one of the still one of the most like touching intimate like father son moments i've seen like it's crazy yes spielberg i mean he, he we we talked about him last year and this year i mean the guy yeah. is just he's still working 
Yeah. And he doesn't make draft. bad stuff. Like, I no. think the the worst argument you could make against him in recent memory is uh, Ready Player One. But, like, yeah. even Ready Player One was not, like, bad. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's just, like, when you put it in the, like, yeah. you know, filmography of one of the most Steven <laughs> yeah. Spielberg, like it's like, doesn't quite hold you. Like you can't put ready player one up against Lincoln. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's true. That's so funny to think about too. Cause it's like ready player one. It's like made by anyone else. That's like the best movie they've ever made. Yeah. And for Spielberg, it's like, and eh, bottom, like bottom half for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. That's awesome. Um, all right. So those are our introductions. So, yep. Do you, I'll, I'll give you a note. So you have the flip. So do you want to start with your number five or do you want me to go with my number five? Um, I want to hear your number five. I don't okay. know why, but that's just where I'm, where I'm at right now. Um, okay. So my number five is one that kind of snuck up on my list. Um, I think this is probably the, the most obscure one I'm going to, to reference. Sure. Um, I'll, but also like not very obscure. Um, it's Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. Stanley Kubrick. I got Spielberg, Kubrick. Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Uh, my number five is a gentleman by the name of Shane Black. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Shane Black, director of the kind of, I mean, director of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Nice Guys, um, Iron Man 3, I'll put mm-hmm. in there. Um but the other thing that I want to sort of bring up is one of the original writers on Lethal Weapon mm-hmm. and that kind of in that series. Um, and let me didn't he do um, Last Action Hero? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Oh no, wasn't it la- uh... Last, Last Boy Scout? Boy I think Scout? Is what yeah, you're yeah, yeah. Of. That's yeah. way more Shane Black. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Also wrote uh, Last Action Hero. Wrote Last Action Hero. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, But like, I mean, hasn't done a lot of movies. I mean, I just like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys and The Predator, um, Mm -hmm. which I haven't seen Shane Black's The Predator. So I'll have to move into that. Definitely some studio meddling with that one. But yeah, carry on. Um, But uh, the way he makes films and the way he writes. Yeah. Is somehow always simultaneously like so fast, so slow, so complex, and so simple. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is my go-to Shane Black movie. I am obsessed with this movie. Um, and, like, the complexity of the mystery that it creates in that is so intense um, that, like, you get to the end and it's, you know, hard to, like, pull it all together. Like, it's hard yeah. to be like, what's this, what's this, what's this? But, like, it does. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it all connects and his, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of his writing style. Yes. Um, and yeah, like it's, I, I will also say in terms of like the influential thing, um, lethal weapon, the series, uh, something I watched when I was younger with my dad. Sure. Um, so like from very early on, like that back and forth, I mean, he writes pair team ups yes. better than anyone else in the world. Amazing. You know, Riggs and Murtaugh, um, you know, the two in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the two, the two in Nice, in nice guys. guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even uh, Iron Man and the kid there is yeah. like. Yeah, which some, is his some, thing. It's like yeah. the pairing that, yes. No, it's he, some grade A uh, Shane Black stuff there. And like, I, I will say also, like, I remember 
Uh, Shane Black was like an advisor in terms of story on like Iron Man and Iron Man 2, you know, because Robert Downey Jr. was like, talk to Shane Black. Yeah. He's a really good <laughs> He's writer. He's a good screenwriter. Having writer. just come off of, uh, oh, I guess Kiss Kiss Bang Bang would have been after Iron Man. No, Kiss after Kiss Bang Iron Bang would have, been, would, would have been before Iron Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, so Shane Black, like that's, you know, wasn't expecting him. I kind of put him Me down either. early on. Yeah. Wasn't expecting him to really make it through the list, but there we go. Yeah. Fantastic. And he's underrated. I think people, he's underrated right now. Yeah. Uh, and The Nice Guys is one of the best movies of the last 20 years, like straight up. It's yeah. just that good. Um, <laughs> it's like literally like just the polished version of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It yeah. is. And it's Gosling like- and Crow. Ooh. Just My perfect. God. It's absolutely perfect. That's a great number five. I I never would have guessed that you would have put Shane Black on your list, but it's perfect. I wouldn't either. Yeah, it's amazing. That's why you got to start with the long list. You got to like, yep, Pair put everybody down. down, and then you're like, ooh, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Ah, oh, all right. Uh, so my number five. Yes. Um, what do you got? My number five is Spike Jones, which is another one that I didn't mm. think was going to make it to my final five. But as I kept thinking about him as like not just a person, but as like, or not just as a filmmaker, but as a person. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, this guy really has done a number on me in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I've talked about Spike a little bit before, but he started his career as a skateboard filmmaker mm-hmm. and he quickly became the 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 go-to guy because he was doing stuff that no one else was doing he was using techniques that filmmakers use you know he he brought yeah. green screen into some of these things he was using um stunt doubles he he really was doing stuff that no one was doing and in a creative way and that obviously led him into doing uh amazing music videos amazing commercials tv spots and then mm-hmm. eventually becoming an academy uh, award nominated filmmaker for his work and it's not just that I feel a kinship with him because he also co-created Jackass and, you know, he's from the skateboarding world and I love, you know, I was a yeah. skateboarder for a lot of my life. And, um, but his filmmaking is so specific. And yeah. when I saw Adaptation for the first time and all of his mm-hmm. movies, even Where the Wild Things Are, like, he, he has this innocence about his the way that he he directs a film and his characters are usually like even in her like there's this kind Mm -hmm. of childlike wonder that he presents in these films um that makes total sense to me because i'm like as a skateboarder like you talk to a skateboard a 50 year old skateboarder like a pro skate they're a kid man they're just a kid having fun throwing themselves down the ramp and you feel that in his filmmaking and um and even in his acting too, because he he's always popping up in you know Babylon or Wolf of Wall Street or Moneyball as Moneyball, like the weirdo, yeah. um, and I just love that he has this sense of fun about him and his filmmaking that I think I'll take with me forever. And seeing her for the first time, it's different because I think Spike he gets that emotional release yeah. even in a movie as weird as being John Malkovich or as strange as like uh, adaptation, like these movies that are very unconventional. And of course him pairing with Charlie Kaufman, like it's yeah. just perfect. Like how that just doesn't make any sense how perfect that was. Um, and his surrealism, like everything about it, he was pushing boundaries and, and continues to do so. Um, and he's kind of made me see, like the wonder in basic everyday things, uh, mm-hmm. in a in a really strange way because his movies are never something that's like 
incredibly audacious. It's maybe a little bit weird, but it's just a guy who's like a schmuck doing this. It's like that's what his movies <laughs> yeah. are. Um, and I just love it. I think that he's a he's a real genius. He's really underrated. And uh, if I could direct a movie half as good as he does, I think I would be in good shape. Yeah. Um, and I want something else from him. But it's everything about him. It's just from where he started to where he went and him being like, I'm going to do the weird thing, man. The music video is going to be this person on fire for three just minutes running, in yeah. mad slow-mo. Like, that's it. And I'm just like, yes, dude, do it. Yeah, or just um, Christopher Walken dancing just for- Just dancing, yes. You know, 15 minutes and then he starts flying around, yeah. Yeah, I implore everyone to watch his Fatboy Slim videos, his Beastie Boy videos. Like, he is yes. one of a kind filmmaker um, and a visionary, so uh, Spike I will say, uh, my freshman year of college, uh, one of the few DVDs my- assigned roommate had was mm-hmm. the uh the works of director spike jones which is like a, a dvd <laughs> collection of i mean this was like 2004 so it was like yeah. you know all his music videos basically right right um and i remember watching that and being like oh okay. something's going on here all right yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and i think like him being a skateboarder at that time like you just had to make things that were like you just had to come up with stuff to do. Yeah. And you feel that in his movies. They're very much like, whoa, how did you come up with this? And it's just because he sees things differently. So, um, yeah, number five, Spike Jones. Nice. Um, back to me, right, for four? Uh, yes, we'll go up to your number four. All right. Uh, my number four is someone that I, I actually can't believe I haven't talked more about, but I think it's because I actually don't love all of his movies. And, in fact, uh-huh. I only really like a couple of them. But his general influence is everywhere, and he is the filmmaker that got me interested in horror, and this is Wes Craven, um, mm-hmm. the late, the great Wes Craven, the, the the person who I still crown as the master of horror. Like, nobody has taken the belt from him. You can say, you know, like, Carpenter, Romero, it's like, I think Wes Craven still has it, because he's, yeah. you know, he's helmed not one, not two, but like five horror franchises that still are running. I talked about Scream, like, two weeks ago, like... This guy is, his imprint is everywhere. Um, And for me, like my mom was the one who kind of got me into horror. Not that she loves horror movies, but she told me about Freddy Krueger young because like she just, that was something that scared her when she was a kid. And in that period of time when I was really growing up, like, I don't know if you've heard of the Splat Pack, but it Mm -hmm. was... Eli Roth and Alexander Aja and Fede Alvarez, like the really grimy, mean, yeah, okay. brutal, not fun horror filmmakers, which I do like, but it's very different. Yeah. And then me coming into the realization that filmmakers like Wes Craven exist where you have Scream and you have Nightmare on Elm Street and you even have movies that I hate like Shocker that you're like... He is having fun here and you can see the ingenuity and the creativity of what he's doing with this. And it's not just about let's scare you silly. Let's have a good time while I'm scaring you silly. Yeah. And Nightmare on Elm Street for my money is still like my favorite of those Halloween Friday the 13th movies because it was different. He Mm -hmm. was like he, the, what the, the practical effects work and the, just the, the straight up creativity of what that character was and the filmmaking. Like I'd never seen anything. And I saw this in like yeah. 2007. So it's not like something that was like, like I, I didn't watch this when it came out, but he was a real boundary pusher in every sense of the word. And um, even his first movie, last house on the left, like I will never watch it again. Cause it's yeah. that disturbing. Yeah. 
but my God, he did something. I've seen Last House on the West. Yeah. yeah. It's not fun, but he did something with that. And I love Hills Have Eyes. I love so many of his movies. Um, And, uh, but yeah, his reach is undeniable. The influence he had on me. I mean, I started to seek out movies that were a little bit less conventional because of him. Because I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm growing up with Hostel and like the remake of Texas Chainsaw that weren't. Yeah. That's what I thought horror was. Like that's what I thought horror was. And, and that like, was a no. very specific time when like that's what Hollywood thought horror was too. Yeah. It was torture porn. It was like hardcore, not fun. Um, and then you see this and you're like, wait a minute, this stuff can be interesting. And then he does movies like A New Nightmare, which is basically a dry run for Scream, which is just like Freddy is real and all these people, yeah. the actors are actually just characters. And um so yeah, again, I Wes Craven still the master of horror to me is the reason that I even have any kind of emotional attachment to horror. Um, and I, I recommend people check out a lot of his work, even if you don't like it, he's just one of those guys. So, yeah. uh, my number four is Mr. Wes Craven. Excellent. That's a, that's an excellent one. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about Wes Craven except, like, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, he is like, as you say, the undisputed king yeah. of horror, like from what I have seen of his work, it's, yeah. I mean, it's it's auteur level horror is what it is like. That's, is. you know, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And he he definitely like he was an influence on Raimi and like there's there, you see that stuff deep in in there. And so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's your number four, Willis? Oh, no. Are you I tried. Right? <laughs> I tried everything I could to get this one off my list. I know what it's going to be. Yeah, you do. Um, so let's just come out and say it. My number four is Michael Bay. Pure Bayham. Let's go. Pure Bayham. Like, if we're talking about filmmakers that are influential towards me, to yeah. me, not towards me, he doesn't know me, but like, sure. uh, that are influential to me, it's hard to compete with the influence that Michael Bay has had. So, there's a few things I want to reference. Um, number one is Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing Armageddon, I was, what, how old was I in Armageddon, like 12, 13. That's perfect. Um, And I remember like the, I vividly remember the beginning of uh, the movie when New York's getting destroyed by asteroids being kind of like freaked out because I'm like, it's really intense. I mean, it's pure Bayhem. Like it's everything getting destroyed, buildings falling, like all this kind of different stuff. And I remember being like, oh, like this is like a ride. You know, yeah. um, not all right, but like, uh, like strap in kind of thing. Um, right. And then that movie, like you strap in in the first five minutes of that movie. Yeah. And then you're like white knuckled until the end. <laughs> it's so good. And like, so like Armageddon was like a first thing. It was like, oh, there's like a, a momentum to to films that you can really feel. Um, Bad Boys 2 is like, shout out Boz. Bad Boys 2 is like a quintessential like definition of like my relationship with boz like yeah <laughs> like bad boys for life boss like yeah. you know and it's one of those again like as a you know 16 year old boy like best thing yeah ever it seen. doesn't get better <laughs> like car chases gunfights like smith. blowing up uh will smith martin lawrence blowing up uh cars blowing up boats you know like it's funny all, yeah i still quote it all the time you know all that kind of stuff and like and then there's The Rock, which like The Rock is one of the best action movies ever made. So it's like, yeah, you'll note I'm talking all about like pre 2000, we'll say seven yeah. movies when yeah. he did Transformers. The Island is like fishy. 
Yeah. Then he got into the Transformers franchise and has pretty much stayed there. Um, yeah. Well, you know, until yeah. they kicked him out. But um, yeah. And like now it's like he's become almost a parody of himself because the Transformers movies got so insane. Yeah. Um, Six Underground Ambulance. Ambulance was fun. Like, that's the thing is like, I have fun. I want to shout out pain and gain pain and gain is an absolutely hilarious, ridiculous movie. It is. Um, it, but I had fun. I had a lot yeah, of fun. Like That's the thing. And that's <laughs> like, I firmly credit Michael Bay with giving me the ability to enjoy the ridiculous and the bad. Yeah. Which is like, when you talk about influence, that's like an important thing in my taste in movies that I can still enjoy something that I mentally know is bad yes you know but i can still like click that part of my brain off and go all right let's do it you let's know. do it <laughs> let's race an ambulance around la yes. for an hour and 40 minutes yes um so i mean michael bay like he has such an uh a tarnished reputation that these days but like he does his early films are just undeniably like well made and i like that was when i was like a teenager that was yes. when I was a teenager becoming like a filmmaker saying like, Ooh, you know, what's a cool movie. Bad mm-hmm. boys too. Yes. And I will say, man, I like, I even, I like his later movie, like transformers one. I'm like, that still rips. Transformers like 13 one is hours. great. Like, like I'm yeah. a Bay like enthusiast at this point, yeah. even though again, like you said, I'm taking it all with a grain of salt, but yeah. that's, I don't, who cares? Ambulance. I've seen three times, dude. Like, yeah, like that's the thing is like from a filmmaking standpoint, it's like it's tough to defend him and a lot sure. of his movies these days. Um, oh, but they look good. They look good. They are so specifically. And I definitely worked with filmmakers in film school who were like, I'm making a Michael Bay type movie. Yeah. Um, hero shots. Only. Hero shots. Fog and beams of light from everywhere. Hard huge light, camera no moves. No soft boxes, yeah. Circling around, like, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah. I, like, am un- un- unapologetically a fan of Michael Bay, but I apologize for unapologetically being a fan of Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, he was on my long list, and I knew he was going to be on your list, yeah. so I wasn't going to, like, have a- him on my list, but it's undeniable dude he blow he's blown my mind more in the last like 20 years than almost any other filmmaker in terms of what you're watching because yeah. it's just kinetic energy like nobody can do you know and his filmmaking you know that's really what it is yeah like just <laughs> endless amounts of energy like i even think in bad boys 2 the scene when uh the the kid comes to pick up uh the daughter oh yeah yeah yes. like that is that is Three people talking at a door Mm -hmm. and it's one of the most intense, like high energy scenes I've ever seen. Right. And And it's fucking hilarious. And I can't even say that like he's not good. He just, he makes his movies. Yeah. So in that regard, he's great. Like he does exactly what the fuck he wants to do and take it or leave it. it, They are, they're one of a kind. He's a one of a kind filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. And I am glad that he got away from Transformers. Me too, because my Be- God. Because they were, yeah, they were borderline unwatchable at the end there. Um, yes. First one is still great. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those, I'm like, you look at his list, it's like Transformers, 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 Pain and Gain, which I said I love. Transformers, mm-hmm. 13 Hours, 
pretty good. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think I've seen Thirteen Hours actually. It's it's not good, but it is. It's it's yeah. about Benghazi. <laughs> yeah, super yes. inaccurate. Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then another trans another Transformers, and then Six Underground, and then Ambulance. So it's like, yeah, the bell curve of the career is just kind of like on the upswing. I guess. With I guess Ambulance. Question yeah. mark. Question mark. We'll see what we'll see what I comes would, next. Here's what it is. I'd put Ambulance up against the island. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. like the island was like, I feel like when we started going down into the, the bell yeah. and now we're coming back up. So I Michael will say Bay. I've never rewatched the island and I have seen ambulance multiple times. There you go. So there you go. Wow. I, that's a good one. That is a good one. Regardless of what you think about him, he is an undeniable force in it's the true. film industry. It's true. And everybody um, knows him. Like, <laughs> So that brings me to my number three, right? Yes, it does. Which I did not even plan this, but I'm super excited because uh, speaking of Bad Boys 2. Oh. Uh, my number three is Edgar Wright. Oh, yes, dude. Yes. The, the man continually amazes me with his like ability to translate an incredible script into an incredible movie Mm -hmm. um, and to give detail and like fresh ways of doing something um, as simple as like, you know, walking down the street. Mm -hmm. I will say I, I I'm counting this as an influence because in my first week of film school um, Mm -hmm. was the week that Shaun of the dead came out. Oh my God. Or thereabouts. um, And NYU hosted a screening with Shane, but not with Shane Black NYU hosted a screening with Edgar Wright. Um, and he like talked about, and I think I don't remember cause I didn't really know who they were yet, but I think, um, Simon Pegg was there too. Okay. Um, but, uh, and That's like awesome. they talked about, like they screened it and they talked about it and they did like a whole Q and a and like all this stuff. Like, and I credit Shaun of the dead with elevating my like, baseline of what good filmmaking is like as soon as I got into film school you know what I mean because I like as we've talked about already like I was coming in with like a Spielberg a Bay kind of taste Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a weird thing to (laughs) say Spielberg Michael Bay taste (laughs) yeah um and then like if you put those three in a row if you put Michael Bay Steven Spielberg and Edgar Wright together I'm like you can see the evolution of my like taste stepping up from totally. Sean of the Dead of like, oh, there's like a lot of really fine detail work that you can do in this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that like plays yes. or like there's like a lot of, you know, you can incorporate different things like music and you can incorporate different like performance styles and like editing techniques and all this different stuff. And I was like just starting to learn about this stuff. Yes. Like properly. And it really, uh, Really set me off, I think. Yes. Oh, my God. Edgar, another filmmaker I think that these days is underrated, like, severely. Yeah. I think people are yeah. like, ah, he I mean, does his thing. And I'm like, yeah, but he, he's, he, his movies, like, a lot of your filmmakers that you've talked about are, like, you could pick their films out of a lineup. Like, they yeah. are so specific, and they're only, they're the only people who can do that. Like, the yeah. only people. <laughs> and he's one of them. And, his like, tonality, it's just amazing. you know, you, you even... Like go further down the line, you know. I've talked about uh, Shaun of the Dead and and Hot Fuzz here, but like you go down and the Baby line Driver. to like Scott Baby Driver, but like Scott Pilgrim or like yeah. The World's End and like Last Night in Soho. I'm like, the, yes, just, it's 
it's always a very specifically, I'm looking at his IMDb here, hilarious, uh, fake trailer segment, Don't, from Grindhouse, directed by Edgar Wright. I didn't even know that. That's awesome. God, you remember when that happened, the Grindhouse yeah. trailers? Hobo yes. and Shotgun? Yes. Um, <laughs> that turned into an actual movie. <laughs> that was where Machete came from, too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, Machete came from uh, Spy Kids and then made his way through. Oh, right, right, Because right, Rodriguez right, right. and Tarantino, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, That's awesome. Yes, so Edgar Wright, um, the Cornetto trilogy is like incredible. Yeah, um, perfect. I will say also, uh, save for, well, I will say my last two there, Michael Bay and uh, Edgar Wright also coming up through music videos. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of people on here, that's honestly the most creative filmmakers tend to do that because they like, they just wanted to make stuff. So they're like, yeah. oh, you know, I'll do a music video for you. Have a good idea. And they do that. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. That's a great number three. Um, so I guess it's my number three now? You're number three, yes. All right. So this is probably the filmmaker that I came to the latest on my list. Mm. I think that's fair to say. Uh, someone that I have talked about a little tiny bit, and I've recommended one of her movies before. Um, but it's someone that in film school, I was uh, like, I was introduced to her work. And it really was after the fact going back and like looking into how she did things that kind of made me appreciate everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is Andrea Arnold, who I really didn't even understand. She like she's been making movies for not that long. Like and especially when Mm -hmm. I saw these movies, like she had she's really been making movies since like the early 2000s. And it seems like she's been a prolific filmmaker forever just because her movies are that good. Um but, uh, you know, I remember seeing a, a couple of my f- professors just showed us her movies in different classes. So I got to see Wasp and Fish Tank and Red Road mm-hmm. um, and Wuthering Heights in school and uh, just like understanding after the fact that the way that she does a lot of her films um, is basically give her actors almost full creative control over their characters in such mm-hmm. a way that just works. And the way that she shoots, especially like Wasp and Fish Tank, was like she went out with her cinematographer and they just shot. Like, shot hmm. list, be gone. Like, I don't know that she does that now, but in those movies, that's how it was done. Um, and even thematically, like, she takes subject matter that is dreary, that is disturbing, that is dark, and that is kind of mundane, and brings it to the forefront and makes it important. And that's something that I think, like her films, you you watch any of her movies, you're like, how did you even come up with this? Like, this is so specific, like almost to be like, you almost had this exact experience. Um, Especially when it comes to Red Road and Fish Tank, you're like, how did you think of Fish Tank? Like that is such an unbelievably well-crafted film. Um, Michael Fassbender's in that movie. And uh, and it, it, it just feels different and i can see her influence on other filmmakers like i've talked about never rarely sometimes always mm-hmm. i can clearly see andrew arnold's uh influence on eliza hitman in this movie because it's it's very naturalistic um in the way that it takes things through um and i think this was the first filmmaker that i saw in film school that was like oh wait a minute this is different like this is truly different from what i've been seeing and I'm grasping every part of this and like, I want to know more. Um, 
So everything from, yeah, her, the way that she casts her movies, because a lot of the times she'll just find people, like in Fish Tank, she just found someone who was a dancer and was like, yeah. and lived in this area. And like a lot of her movies are about poverty and like trauma, but she makes them so engaging. Um, I just love, I just love her work. Have you, are you, how many, have you seen I'm not, I don't, her work? I don't know that I'm familiar at all. I don't think I've, I mean, I've heard of some of her things for mm-hmm. sure here. I don't know that I've ever seen any of it. No. Interesting. Well, I would definitely suggest you watch Fish Tank. It is, it yeah. is breathtaking and it, it's very like heartbreaking, but it's unbelievable filmmaking. Um, grimy, a little bit gritty, but real, like super uber real. Um, American Honey is really good as well. It's one of her newer films, but really, really good. Um, but she just has a grasp on tone. And a lot of my fil- the filmmakers I'm going to talk about today are have that. They understand their yeah. tonality. And that's something that I struggle with as a writer. I'm like, what am I trying to actually convey here? And how do I want this to feel? Yeah. And her movies are Andrea Arnold movies. Like you watch them and you're just like, holy crap, yeah. dude. This is punching me in the gut. Um, so... Yeah, my number three is Andrea Arnold. Absolutely adore her as a filmmaker, and uh, I highly recommend everybody check out all of her work. It's really, really good. Although I have not seen her newest movie, which I think is a documentary about a cow. Um, yes, called Cow. Called yes. Cow, which I have not seen um, yet. It's interesting. I, like looking through a lot of these, I'm like, the most recent stuff of like a lot of the people on my list, I haven't seen. Mm. You know, well, like I haven't seen Last Night in Soho. I haven't mm-hmm. seen. Um, I don't know. There was like a Michael Bay one. That, oh, I hadn't seen the uh, 13 hours, 13 hours from mm-hmm. Michael Bay. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is interesting. And it was something if we can take a swerve to the left for a second. Something yeah. I kind of observed about myself yeah. while making this list is like, I think a lot of my taste and influence these days isn't necessarily tied to a specific director. No. Which is really interesting. Cause like I kept having, different directors and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. That was like really influential, but I'm like really just talking about one movie that was really important to me. Yes. Um, and I look and I'm like, Oh, I've seen this one movie and none of the others, you know? Right. Um, which could so, work too. Like that could work as being influential, but it's, yeah, absolutely. This prompt but it's, is hard. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the question of like, is it, um, an influential filmmaker an influential film, which we've already done top five most influential films. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, so yeah, Andrea Arnold is my number three. Um, she's kind of an undeniable filmmaker to me and I guess someone that, uh, not a lot of people have seen her work, but I guess yeah. I'm lucky that my, all of my professors love her work. So um, I have added fish tank to my letterbox. It's good. It's good. Um, it's a tough available watch. Available on some, the Criterion channel. Of course. Of, I would assume all her movies are somewhere on there. Um, difficult subject matter, strange subject matter, but important subject matter. Um, so so that's my number three. Uh, and now two for me? Yeah. That'll bring us to your number two, yes. All right, my number two. Um, another filmmaker that I, or I, two filmmakers that I have not talked a lot about, uh, it's the Coen Brothers, which are another Excellent. undeniable duo. But for some reason, I think I always feel like they're just not overhyped, but people talk a lot about the Coen Brothers. So I'm like, I usually stay with Like people have heard about the Coen Brothers. Yeah. But man, when I saw Raising Arizona for the first mm-hmm. time, and then again when I saw Oh Brother Where Art Thou, I was kind of like shocked at the fact that you could do this. You know? Yeah. The fact that two filmmakers, and again, I saw these really young when 
my perception of Oscar bait prestigious films were like dry, overly mm-hmm. dramatic, overly serious. And then you see movies by these two guys who are constantly getting, you know, best writing uh, yeah. uh, nominations and best director and being like, you can have fun and do something that's a little bit different with these movies. Yeah. And Raising Arizona and Oh Brother Where Art, though, I mean, of course, they have like basically in a like a perfect filmography, I think. Like they're mm-hmm. one of the only filmmakers who has that. Yeah. Um, but their movies are a mixture of incredibly well-made and written, but also highly watchable. And yeah. that's not something that happens all the time. There's only a handful of filmmakers that are like, like Kubrick we've talked about, and I don't find all of his movies very watchable. Like some of them are. Yeah. No, legit. Some of them like, are slog. You got to sit down to watch a Kubrick movie. Even 2001, um, I'm like, it's 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 an undertaking, you know? Um, but with the Coens and them coming up with Sam Raimi, I'm like, this is another era of filmmaker that yeah. has a really specific kind of vision for what they want movies to be. And again, another pair that you can just say, you, you could pick their movies out of a lineup. And even Absolutely. movies that are contemporary, like Inside Lewin Davis, which I think is the most recent one that I've seen... Uh, like I only saw it like last year, so that's why sure. I say that. It still is a Cohen movie. It is depressing. Yeah. It is. Dark, I mean, you can look cool. at Tragedy of Macbeth, which was you know, yeah, uh, you know, Joel Cohen's alone kind of thing, but like still definitely a Cohen Brothers movie. Like the way it's just handled and like blocked and directed is like, yeah, you can yeah. feel it. It's so specific. And then I remember No Country and being like, I want every movie that I ever make to look this good. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do this? How does how do you frame it like this? Compose. And then they also get performances that are just Academy Award worthy. Yeah. Like it's just unbelievable what they're able and to do. And of like the highest of tier talent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Every single time. Um but really, for me, it's the watchability and, and understanding. Because I saw the Coen Brothers movies before I saw Tarantino movies. So I didn't know that like you could kind of do this and make it fun. And make like something that is so weird and goofy as Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. But still have it be like a really high-tier film um, that just happens to <laughs> be really goofy. And like have a really strange Clooney performance in the middle of it. That's just <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. And they use music so well, and it's just like they kind of they kind of opened my eyes a little bit as to like what was possible in prestige filmmaking. It's like the Coens, like that's yeah, kind of a north star. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. I will say, I'm really glad to hear you say them because uh, they were what I was struggling back and forth between them and Michael Bay. Yeah. On my list, because yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's hard to undersell how important like they are to cinema, but also how accessible they are. Like you're saying, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I think of the big Lebowski and I think yes, of Fargo burn after even. reading. Yeah. Um, or Fargo. Yeah. It like yeah. really put them on the map. Um, Oh, burn after reading's genius. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like these massive, massive casts. I mean, that cast burn after reading arguably has a bigger cast than oceans 11. Yeah. You know, um, yes, and everyone's being goofy as shit, and everyone's being goofy, and no one stands apart. It's not no. like you know, you you look at Ocean's Eleven, and it's Clooney and Pitt and right. Damon, whereas this, it's like Clooney and Pitt and John Malkovich and Francis McDormand, and you know, Tilda Swinton, J.K. Simmons, and like oh just endless. It just goes on and on. Yeah, 
um, absolutely incredible. Like yeah. I, uh, I pulled a couple of friends on this and, uh, the Coen brothers came back from everybody. So, yeah, it's, it's, they're just, and again, I don't think we have talked about them much on the podcast because it's kind of like, obviously the Coens are that good and they don't put yeah. that many movies out these days. Um, we did talk about like tragedy of Macbeth when it came out. But, yeah. And ballad um, of Buster Scruggs was a Netflix yep. one that was odd, but it like was odd, but Coens. really well done. Yeah. yeah, definitely Coens. Um, so yeah, my number two is the Cohen brothers. Excellent. Uh, and so that brings us to your two. Number two. Yes. Yep. My number two. Um, my number two is probably the most predictable one, um, that I'm, I'm going to put out there. Uh, just a filmmaker that's been wildly inspirational to me since I first started watching movies. Mm. Um, and that's Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't. I, I feel like I've said this about four or five times now, but you can't <laughs> underestimate like how important he is. Um, and he was the reason he's on my list here is he was became a filmmaker in film school that I really grabbed onto as someone I wanted to like emulate as a filmmaker. Yeah. You know, yeah. Me and like, you know, Everyone. 86% of every other film student. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, I mean, like just running through his his list is incredible. I mean, like Goodfellas from the top of the, you know, top of the pile. But like, you know, that's even like looking at it is like his middle ground. You know what I mean? Yes. Like Goodfellas, great thing. But like he went on to do like Casino Taxi and Cundun and Raging Taxi Driver, Bull. Gangs of New York, Aviator, The Departed. The Departed yeah. is really the one that like brought me into it because it came out when I was in film school and it was yeah. like, it's like, I didn't ball. know you could get actors to do stuff yeah. like this. Um, incredibly yeah. complex. And I know last week we were like ragging on him for making incredibly long movies, but like he's the more it. I look at him, like he's always made loud long movies, yeah. you know, like Goodfellas is two and a half hours. Like, uh, casinos over three, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, even like mean streets, the one mm -hmm. he like, tied together is a solid two. So it's like, yeah, you know, his, his, I'm going to like make my first movie was like, yeah, I'm making a two hour movie. I'm not like scraping to get to 70 minutes. Like so many people are. Exactly. Um, and he's still working at like the top, like uh, not the top of his game, but like he put Wolf of Wall Street out at like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. movie's and, like, a masterpiece. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like say what you will about the Irishman is it's like, it's yeah. not bad filmmaking. No. You know, it's him polished. It's just like without any limitations, I guess, is really right, the right. thing. Um, <laughs> no one there to pull the reins in. Yeah. But even you see things like Hugo, you know, which yeah. like I really liked Hugo, like an yeah. animated film from yeah. him. I like Shutter Island, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's like there's so, there's definitely tears of uh, of Martin Scorsese. Totally. Um, yeah. You know, where there's like the big ones, but then like. There's the color of money, which like no one ever talks about the color yeah. of money, but it's but incredible. It's good. It's yeah. amazing. Um, oh, that's so, great. Yeah. I mean, I mean Martin Scorsese, like it was maestro. when we, yeah, when we first brought this out, this, this prompt, I was like, all right, well, Scorsese is going to be, cause I remember like, you know, fast forwarding and pausing my DVD player, like watching the departed being like, let me like break down the different shots on this. I think I had a notebook and I was like, all right, wide shot, medium shot. <laughs> Yeah. wide 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 like yeah you know just to try and understand like an ounce of what he's bringing to the table 
Um, yes. I remember and, I wrote a report on the last waltz. Oh, really? Fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that actually sounds really enjoyable, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the report was probably terrible, but. Well, sure, but, you know. I really enjoy the last waltz. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's another yeah. one of those like kinetic filmmakers too. That you're like, he has a way of conveying energy really well. Yeah, and but different than filmmakers like Michael Bay. Like he uses the camera and he uses actors in a very specific way, and he knows who he's using. Yeah. It's why he goes back to the same well every time. He's like, yep. I know these people and I know what they can do. So the uh, yeah. the long like move across the entire room to a close up. Yeah. Uh, shot is yeah. in every film I've ever made. <laughs> That's like how I got into scenes. It's like, yeah. 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 It's, I mean, w- what can be said about Martin Scorsese? He wasn't on my list because I knew he was going to be on yours. And yeah. he's just like an undeniable force uh, in filmmaking. When you, when you see, when people go up on stage and they reference him, they call him the maestro. Like yeah. people like Martin McDonough and like Bong Joon-ho, it's like he just is right now yeah. like the godfather of cinema that we yeah. have. So, um, And really like, you know, there isn't that many people, I'd say maybe two or three mm-hmm. that you can say are bigger names in the history of cinema. Yes. You know, yeah. I think of Alfred Hitchcock. Sure. And I think of Orson Welles. Yeah. But I'm like, after that, like, it's hard to make an argument for anyone but Scorsese. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Coppola or maybe Spielberg. But like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> he's, um, a, he's a genius. Yeah. Damn. Good number two. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, like, it's it's Scorsese, man. Like. Yeah. Like, I want to have some, like, prolific, like, let me talk about why this is influential. But it's, like, it's yeah. Scorsese, like, should tell you everything you need to know. I mean, if you've yeah. seen a Scorsese movie, you know, doesn't matter what one, you can yeah. feel the filmmaking oozing from it. Exactly. And even though, and like you said, like, movies that aren't quite as talked about, like Color of Money, it's still, like, a perfectly crafted movie. Yeah. And he took that for hire. Like he didn't even want to do that really. He just was like, "Yeah, I guess so." And, like, yeah. and it turns into like a freaking my favorite Tom Cruise ever. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah. so good. It's crazy. Yeah. So. That's great. And that'll bring us to my number 1, right? Uh, yeah. Oh my god, we're down to oh, we're at an hour, so I guess it's not Yeah. Really we're clipping <laughs> right along. We're doing good here. <laughs> yeah. So my number 1 was like as soon as we gave the prompt, I was like that's my number 1. Like Yeah. You know, that's literally the most influential uh, filmmaker ever on me solely for the reason that, like, I wouldn't be a filmmaker if it wasn't for this this person. Um, mm. And that's Robert Rodriguez. Yes. Um, his uh, yes. his book, I'll say Rebel Without a Crew about the making of El Mariachi mm-hmm. um, made filmmaking accessible to me. Yeah, because. I don't know if how familiar you are, but the story behind El Mariachi is he basically raised, I want to say seven grand by doing like medical testing and bootstrapped the entire production, shot it, edited it, like directed it. Was it was his movie, yeah. Wrote the music, did everything, did the sound editing, everything. And it's an incredible story to do. And it literally made me go like, oh, wait, I don't have to like be a Hollywood like star or whatever to like yeah. make a film like yeah. i can go out and do something right 
um, that's something else. That's uh, that I will I will forever be in his debt for for sending me down that road. Um, yeah, and like his films, like are inarguably incredible. Yeah, you know, um, I didn't have Tarantino on my list. Um, yeah, but like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez are very um, good friends. Yeah, um, and their styles are very close. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I suppose I wouldn't say that nowadays, but like there was a period there I, around the grindhouse time right. where it was like, here's these two sides of a coin, you know? Yes. Um, and I think they love the same kinds of movies. So it made sense. Like, yeah. And you watch planet terror and then you watch death proof and you're like, Oh, I, I very much see where you two like, yeah, overlap here's, here. here's two guys that are like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also like, you got to shout out like the spy kid series. Like I fucking love it, man. He does this stuff. That's like dark, angry, violent. And then he's like, and then I'll make something for my kids. And he makes like spy kids, you know, Yes, with Um, one of the best ensembles of all time in the spy kids movies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hilarious because it's like the people that he is working in his dark, grimy movies with, you know, moves them over. Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Like coming up from Desperado. And uh, I will say, uh, if you ever seen, have you ever seen the movie four rooms? Uh, I don't know that I have actually. No. Worth a, uh, Worth an examination. It's a movie, uh, four segment movie, each segment directed by a different filmmaker. Oh, one of them's Rodriguez. One of them sure. is Alexandra Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is uh, Allison Anders, and the fourth one is Quentin Tarantino. Um, gotcha. And it's Tim Roth as like a bellhop that moves before between these four rooms, and it's a really fascinating kind of thing. And you can absolutely tell which one's Robert Rodriguez's, and you can <laughs> absolutely tell which one's Quentin Tarantino's. Of course you can. Um, but uh all right adding it to my list but yeah i mean like i just i I, like i can't i will never not love a robert rodriguez movie um yeah although i will say this is another one that i haven't seen his his most recent few you know i'm super hyped for hypnotic but i haven't seen um red 11 which actually is about he he wrote and directed that because it's about the medical testing that he was oh, subject really? to like that's why he wrote it yes yeah oh interesting yeah Ooh, no i haven't I, seen that yeah um i haven't seen uh well I, we said this the other day but i haven't seen elite battle angel which i think was the last feature he directed mm-hmm. um but i mean i mean you get backed into it and it's just like sin city is incredible like another one of those one another one of those guys literally that has a very specific look and technique and yeah. style and like you can feel a Robert Rodriguez movie. Totally. Which I feel like I could say that down the line for all of mine. You could see, you can feel a Rodriguez movie. You can feel a Scorsese movie. You can feel a Edgar Wright movie. You can feel a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, you can. You can feel a Shane Black movie. Yeah. 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 His screenwriting uh, is, yeah. It's arguably like, I don't know how much you can always feel a Spielberg movie. I think you can, but like yeah. of that list, he's the most generics, not the word, but like, wide reaching in his style totally um but yeah man um that's awesome shout out desperado um desperado like you gotta watch el mariachi and desperado back to back because it's so fascinating yeah because it's the same story basically um right right. but it's so fascinating to feel the lessons that he learned as he grew as a filmmaker it's fascinating 
going from literally had never done anything to okay yeah. you got a couple miles to shoot on a 16 millimeter like yeah. <laughs> film camera to oh here we go here's a crew that's awesome yeah robert rodriguez is another guy that i think like is definitely underrated but i think that what makes him special is he's a chameleon in the way that he will do what he wants to mm-hmm. like he does shark boy and lava girl because his kid wanted to do it and he's like sure and then the kid wrote it and he made it and it went wide and i was like yeah. what <laughs> and then he does spy kids but then he comes back to do sin city and you're like this guy can kind of do it all and he and you can feel that he's just yeah. making movies that he wants to make and i'm like that's Yes. Well, and I I also I get the feeling that he's making things that he wants to do to yeah. grow as a filmmaker. Totally. Like Sin City is a big swing. Dude, it's huge. Sin City is like, I don't know if we can pull like Sin, Sin City could have so easily just gone 100% off the rails. Yeah. You know, uh, because it is like 90% CG. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the first ones I remember being like, this is like 90% CG. Yeah. You know, um, it was post the prequels, but like, yeah, it was done with intention and it like, oh man, it holds up, dude. Everyone go watch Sin City. It's really, it's dark, but it is so good. Um, even the second one I kind of liked, um, that's a I great number a lot of the second one, but it's, um, yeah, it's yeah. not as good, but it's more the same. It's more yeah. the same. <laughs> That's so, a great number one. I did not call that to be your number one, honestly. No, but um, but it makes it's, sense. It's the book, man. <laughs> yeah. Rebel without it's a crew, the like the yeah reason I became a filmmaker, like hands yeah. down. Like there you go. And everything else is a spinoff of that. It's just, <laughs> so. just a spin-off. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> that's fantastic. That you know um, what? That's what it is. I was saying. Sorry to hog that. No, but I was saying like coming into film school and watching uh, Shaun of the Dead and Edgar Wright and all that kind of stuff. I was like starting to move towards like appreciation of that like that reading that book and watching el mariachi is like the switch that went from like i like watching movies to i could make movies i can do this yeah and how do i do that let's start learning about how to do that so that's like the linchpin the turning point in my uh my career i guess that's great and obviously that had to be your number one if that's the case um yeah god love robert rodriguez Yes. Need more. Need more from him. Can't need wait more. For, honestly, yeah. can't wait for Hypnotic. I just, you know, yeah, <laughs> it'll be good to see him back. All right, we're down to it, folks. To your number one, Josh. my number one. Um, if you've been listening to the pod for a long time, this should come as no surprise. Uh, I feel like I have a good bet in my. Head. I'm sure you know who this is. Um, I'm just gonna say it. It's James Wan. Um, oh, he. All right is <laughs> I don't even know how to begin to, to talk about James Wan because he kind of, like Wes Craven got me into horror, James Wan fostered that into an obsession. Mm-hmm. James Wan was the guy who I saw the first Saw movie and then I saw Insidious, which was the first scary movie I ever saw in a theater. And it basically traumatized me to the point of like being like, I need to go back and experience that again. Yeah. And then he did the Conjuring movies and he like he he's been on this run. And what it was was the fact that what he did was bring in, breathe new life into stuff that was already done mm-hmm. and making it feel novel and making it feel like 
you'd never seen anything like this before because really mm. like he wears his influences on his sleeve all the time like a uh, lots of argento in there with the color and you know the changeling like there's so much blatant influence but he makes it feel new and different and he does that he was just like you he was a filmmaker that made me go wait i could do this because i remember yeah. seeing the original short for saw mm-hmm. and being like holy crap like you knew what this was going to be going into it. And then he made saw one and I was just like, Oh my God. Like this isn't for everyone, but it, it spawned an entire era of that kind of filmmaking. And then he takes it back and he does insidious. And that spawned the next era in horror filmmaking. Yeah. And then he goes and like, and then he goes and just does tentpole stuff. And he's like, I'm doing Furious 7 and I'm doing Aquaman and Aquaman 2. And like, he's become like, he's kind of, not that I want to do that stuff, but he's kind of my true North Star as to like what's possible and what you can actually do. Because he does that, he comes back and does Malignant with all of his power. He's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make the most batshit, craziest, my own type of movie. He does seem to be. landing in like a, a world of like one for you one for me back and forth totally. with the studio system which is like a, w- a way to go man like you know if if that's gonna let you unpack even more of like what specifically you want to do like yes. go for it it's so true um and i i think a lot of people have a problem with insidious and maybe it's the fact that i saw it when i was at that age but i've i own that movie i've seen it over and over and over again and i think that was one of the first movies that i can remember buying and then going back through and being like how did you craft this scare yeah how did you do this because there's the scariest moments in insidious are not jump scares they're subtle they're in your they're not even in your face they're just like music cues or this or that and in the conjuring he does the same thing the scariest things are not when the demon jumps out at you it's the it's the atmosphere and everything man his cinematography his directing style his like he doesn't write all of his movies but him and lee Wanell, who is another just genius in my mind like they were partners on saw and insidious and the conjuring and um like it's kind of ridiculous how much of an impact james wan has had on me not just as another asian man who's like gone through the system and Mm -hmm. been like i'm doing this the way i want to and then becoming super incredibly successful in hollywood which is not that not that common like you really can't name that many maybe justin lynn's up there and like ang lee but there's not that many that have made it all the way to that point um like his aesthetic has influenced everything from not just the films that I love and the films that I make, but my photography style and the way mm-hmm. that I think about music. I mean, like he really, like his needle drops, like hit me in my soul every single time <laughs> I hear one. Um, and it really just comes back down to seeing Insidious and being like, look what he did with $15 million and a yeah. couple actors who basically did it for free. And yeah the practical of like he's not afraid to use practical effects still and like the set design and just like he is another one of those guys that utilizes like a, a, like a basically a perfect vision of what he's going to do yeah. and isn't afraid to get really weird with it and i think now that he's doing that malignant stuff i can't wait to see more from him because he's also he's like I would say he's like the next Sam Raimi where he's producing mm-hmm. all of these movies for people. He produced Megan. He's producing all of these conjuring spinoffs. And like, he's kind of the guy that's like produced by James Wan. Yeah. It's like, that's sick. That is so cool. He has um, uh 20 credits under upcoming for producer. Let's which freaking is crazy. go. 
Um, and again, he's not a director that I think hits it every single time. There's a couple movies that I just don't like from him, but he knows how to do he create iconography a lot like Wes Craven, yeah. where you have Annabelle and you have the nun and you have uh, Zep or Jigsaw from Saw. Like there, he creates franchises. Like he's one of those guys, um, but he does like one and done. He like did Saw one and then like there's ten after, but he yeah. didn't have anything to do with those. And he did Conjuring one and two, but he's done now. And he did none of the the spinoffs. Um, so yeah, I adore James Wan as a filmmaker. Um, he has influenced like every part of my life in a really weird way because he's like a he's he's disturbing and i remember he was like one of the first <laughs> twitter accounts that i followed it used yeah. to be at creepy puppet i don't think he's on twitter anymore <laughs> unfortunately um but yeah my number one most influential filmmaker to my life and hopefully f- like continuing on is mr james wan um awesome. i love him love him so so awesome. so very much all right so there we go. Run yeah. us through your list, your full list here, Josh. All right. So my runner-up was Hayao Miyazaki. My number five was Spike Jones. My number four was Wes Craven. My number three was Andrea Arnold. My number two was the Coen Brothers. And my number one most influential filmmaker to me is Mr. James Wan. And, that is uh, a stacked list. Yeah. Yeah. That is also like looking at it. It's a very Josh list. I know, I know. <laughs> Which is that's another thing. I'm like, it's got to be. It's it's representative yeah. of who I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, we need to feed these into the algorithm now and see what, what see what said, happens. What yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, run us through your list. Yes. So my my number my runner up. Um, I still can't believe is Steven Spielberg. <laughs> the runner. Um, my number five was Shane Black. My number four was Michael Bay. My number three was Edgar Wright. My number mm. two was Martin Scorsese. And my number one was Robert Rodriguez. Yes. Yes. Um, I am a little, I, I didn't shout out, but I will forever be uh, devastated by the miss of the Ant-Man Edgar Wright movie. Oh. Couldn't, couldn't let that one go. Was there um, ever a more perfect pairing? Like it would have been what? so incredible. Oh, oh my god. God. Anyway, um, so there we go. There's our there list. Top five plus one most influential films for the two of us. Filmmakers. Filmmakers. Yeah, see, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. It's, it's okay. It's been over an hour, so Oof. um yeah. <laughs> All right. And, do we uh, want to do a, a quick recommendation? Let's do it. Yeah. Um so we are going to give you a recommendation from the filmography of our number one filmmaker, right? Yes. Yes. Cool. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, sure. I can go first. Um, right. This is hard. So my number one was Robert Rodriguez, as I said, like yep. four seconds ago. Yeah. I really like if we're talking recommendations, I have to. I have to go El Mariachi. Mm-hmm. Like if of his filmography, go watch El Mariachi. Yeah. See what he did with Seven Grand. It is really rough. I will like, you know, prepare yourself. It is made for Seven Grand for seven thousand dollars, folks. Um, but like there is a baseline talent there that like is so uh, just amazing to watch, and you can you can feel where he came from in that movie. Yes. And that was 90 in the 90s, right? 
Yeah, 92. That was, yeah, 92. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm going to, uh, where do I find, I think I got to rent it, right? That's what I'm looking up right here. Uh, I have it on DVD still, I believe. (laughs) Of course. Um, Oh, no, it's available on Prime. Oh, let's go. Adding El Mariachi to my watch list. Look at that. Good on you, Prime. Thank God. Yeah, 93, hour and 30 minutes. Easy. Rock and roll. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) Uh, Well, that is a good recommendation. Um, Much in keeping with that theme, I'm also going to recommend uh, the first movie from my filmmaker. I believe this is the first movie. And I'm going to recommend the first Saw movie because um, while this is not my favorite of his films... It is so deeply impressive what he was able to pull. Him and Lee Whannell were able to pull off with such a ridiculous premise and such a like a how would a studio ever pass this in terms yeah. of like this is what people want to see. But it is totally undeniable. It is incredibly compelling and engaging, mostly thriller. Like there is horror elements to it. And once you get to the end and there's a lot of body horror, but... <laughs> Most of it is a mystery kind of like really tension-filled thriller about these two guys in a room who are trying to figure out why and then it's kind of told in this non-linear way where you're kind of going back and forth and understanding who these characters are and why they're in this situation. If you've never seen any Saw movies, obviously start with the first one um, because once you get past, you, it's very gimmicky after the first one, you understand sure. what's going on. Um, but the idea is great. It's, it's, you know, it stars Carrie Elwes and Lee Whannell and Tobin Bell, and that's, like, basically it. And you're just like, let's go. Let's rock and roll. Um, and it's grimy. It's shot really, really well. You can definitely see where Juan is going to go from here. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. even if you don't love gore and you don't love this kind of genre, it the Saw movies get way worse in terms of that. This one is fairly staid when it comes to that type of stuff. There's only a couple things that happen, (laughs) but um, it still impresses me to this very day. Um, And so I recommend seeing the first Saw movie. I believe that you do have to rent this. So I get why you wouldn't want to rent it, but, um, but yeah, so I recommend Saw one. Nice. (sighs) All right. I love doing these, man. It's so much fun. It's interesting. Do you want to <laughs> do you want to shout out any uh, particular filmmakers that you wanted to make the list but didn't make the list? Oh God, um, I deleted a lot of my list. Let me think. Um, 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 Park Chan Wook was on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, love his films. I just I was like in terms of influence, I came to him a lot later. Um, Tarantino yeah. was on my list for sure. Wes yep. Anderson was on my list. Didn't make the cut. I, Wes Anderson was kind of where I thought you were going. Uh, on, on yeah. your number one there. I've talked about him so much and I, and I'm just like, I needed to, uh, there was, Wes was someone I got to later. James yeah. was like the OG, like here's nice. my filmmaker. Um, nice. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, I, so I had a couple, I really struggled with Peter Jackson. I really yeah. wanted to shout out, but I think my love of that is more based around the Lord of the Rings trilogy than His necessarily movies. him as a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, I will say the same with George Lucas, which yeah. I had a, a big, he like, was on my list. Yeah. Hard time that I'm like, I don't know how George Lucas is not on my top five. most influential. Um, he was almost my runner up for that reason. I was like, yeah. Uh. Um, and then the other two shout out Kevin Smith, which I was talked mm-hmm. about last week on tune in and Sam Raimi, which I was like, yeah, evil dead is formative for me for sure. So. Yeah it's 
it's funny looking back and doing these lists because you're just like, oh my God, so many people have influenced the way that I do things and yeah. see things and watch things now that it's almost like an impossible task. Um, and we just picked five out of a hundred, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, all right, that'll, that'll do it, folks. Um, good stuff. Absolutely Good love these stuff. episodes. So much fun. Yeah. And you get is. to know a little bit more about us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I mean, like, I feel like all of our recommendations that we've done in the past now are now a little bit clearer because it's like, yeah, yeah like this is where our taste in movies comes from, guys. Like Exactly. You pull off an Edgar Wright-esque kind of move in a movie, you're going to like, yeah. you know, yep. really serotonin in my brain. Exactly. Uh, Synapses will so, be firing. There you go. That's a better <laughs> phrase. Turn of phrase. Uh Cool. Um, all right. Well, let's bring it home. Josh, where yeah. can people find you on the internet? Oh, people can find me on the internet on Twitter at Josh Fuller 33. Fuller is spelt with no E. You can also find me on both Instagram and letterboxd at Josh J Fuller. And uh, where can people find you Willis? You can find me on the internet at Willis film. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and letterbox. And if you want to find the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at pixel splitters. You can find us on Twitter at pixel split pod. Uh, and you can find us on letterbox at pixel splitters where you can find all of our recommendations, including saw and El Mariachi. <laughs> not going to lie. That might not be a bad double feature. Definitely not. I was just thinking that. Very much in the same camp, like... <laughs> yeah, interesting. That's great. Um, Fantastic. All right, there we go. Uh, let's close it out. We'll yeah. be back next week. Uh, we there will. won't be a tuned in on Sunday. Nope. Um, so enjoy your Sunday. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Josh, you want to you wanna take us out? I do. Um, end of pod.